Thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. If you have not, be sure to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash finish the fight, where we have some amazing merch and plenty of other things for you guys. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. We develop and produce the highest quality gaming research in podcast form. I'm your host, Jesse Reiners. And I'm your host, Alex Kendall. And today, I regret to inform you that the cake, in fact, is a lie. But, well, depending on how you finish the game. Depending, but for me, it was a lie because I'm horrible at playing video games. Yeah, so obviously we're talking about Cooking Mama 2. Just kidding. We're going to give you some (laughs) of that portal action. Mm -hmm. We are covering portal. Here, I'll put you on. That's you. That's how dumb you sound. Yes, we are covering uh, one of Valve's somewhat original IPs. We'll talk about how that came about. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a Valve game. Um, I'm sure you know them from Steam. Never uh, heard of it. Which is pretty much all they do nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> but Portal is a very interesting puzzle game that challenges you in different ways to somewhat not break the game, but break out of the the thinking that you originally have for puzzle games. You know, the biggest thing is is how do you tackle this with an out-of-the-box method, mm-hmm. essentially, because there's a lot of levels in this where there's no one specific way to get from point A to point B. No. Like, it's just like there's, there's you know, hundreds, if not thousands of ways to do this. You just have to figure out how do you want to do it. Do you want to use momentum to go through or just fall through a few holes and you're good to go? Yes, because from... The look of every puzzle, it's pretty easy. Just get right there. Mm-hmm. Pretty simple. But sometimes you have acid around you. You have drops. You have multi, you, have, you have enemies, potentially kind of enemies. You have turrets. You have things that are- The, the, the robots. Yeah, they're impeding your way and impeding you from getting there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to talk about really how, how this game came to be. I think some of you may know the backstory, but it wasn't technically Valve who originally came up with this idea. Mm-hmm. Well, that's insert any Valve game. That's kind of the explanation. You're very right. But it's actually a, a group <laughs> of students who, you know, took a, a senior project. They took their volcano, their, their paper mache volcano, mm-hmm. showed it to Gabe, and he went, I love it. You're hired. You're hired. <laughs> yeah, but let's dive into the, the game itself. So Portal is a first-person action puzzle game released by Valve Studios. In Portal, you play as Shell, a test subject at Aperture Labs, tasked with completing a set of challenges. Portal takes traversal to the next level with a creative spin on your journey from point A to B. Using a portal gun, each level you encounter will come with its new set of challenges, but the goal is overall the same, 
get from one side of the map to the other. You're not alone on this journey. With all her wit and dry humor, the AI GLaDOS, or Genetic Life Form and Disk Operating System, will guide you along your journey. You realize rather quickly, though, that GLaDOS isn't your friend with ulterior motives. Mm. Once the player beats the game, then the challenge and advanced modes are unlocked. In the challenge mode, the player can tackle levels out of order and complete challenges like using the least amount of portals or taking the least amount of steps to complete this level. So it adds that whole new level of difficulty plus Mm -hmm. replayability. From there, they can earn bronze, silver, or gold rankings. In advanced mode, levels are changed up, adding or taking away key elements that have helped the player complete the level in the original campaign. Mm -hmm. So there may be a wall that's now gone that you can't put a portal on. Yeah. Or there may be, like I said, acid or drops or just a full change of the level to turn up the difficulty and again bring the replayability back in the game without adding too much more. Yes. The game was released in the Orange Box, which was a collaboration between EA and Valve. It contained Portal, Half-Life 2, Half-Life 2 Episodes 1 and Episode 2, and Team Fortress 2. So all the numbers. (laughs) (laughs) The Orange Box came about because Valve had never completed more than one project at a time. So when they had multiple projects going on, they decided to release everything in just one bundle to actually save on shipping. That's I love that just that explanation. There, it's like, hmm, this kind of makes sense. It's cheaper. Let's do that. Valve is a company that never should have been, but was somehow. Absolutely, it's Gabe Newell and company just randomly tripping over a stick, <laughs> falling onto a pile of gold. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. And again. Kids, we have the, we had these things called discs at one point, mm-hmm. where you actually had to physically put it into a disc tray, and not just download it from your gigabit internet. <laughs> All teams working on their respective games could help the other teams who were working. So if you were on Half Life, you were on Portal, you can kind of jump and mm-hmm. help with certain areas, who might have been struggling to get to ship the game on time. Yeah, as this entire project was built as one release, so a very unique situation in the Valve Game Studios that was allowing multiple teams to jump around to ship multiple products. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, because it essentially was one giant release, so you had kind of that freedom, because, again, they had never done this before. They did a game here and there, and that's it. Now, all of a sudden, you're getting essentially five games. You're getting five games that are staples. Yes, absolutely. Which which we're going to talk about Valve here in a second. Again, Valve is a company that should not be. (laughs) Well, I mean... You saying that they kind of stumbled on some gold is kind of how Valve got started in the first place, actually. Yes, Gabe Newell is Smaug, and he is (laughs) on everyone else's gold. (laughs) Well, Valve started as a dream from two Microsoft employees, Mike Harrington and Gabe Newell. Newell was a Harvard dropout who was simply spending too much time hanging out with his brother who worked at Microsoft. Eventually, Microsoft employee Steve Ballmer told Newell that if he's going to be spending so much time at Microsoft, he needs to do something there and hired him. So we need to start doing that. This, yeah, is, what, this is what we're doing wrong. Yeah, imagine literally you're just uh, like bothering people and eventually they're like, just work here. <laughs> but also we would just show up and know no one. We'd like walk into IGN and just sit there. They'd be like, what what's, up? what's up guys? How you doing? Yeah, I'm here to see uh, that guy. I'm here to see John. You know what, John? Did yeah. I say John? I meant Pete. Yep, that's what I meant, Pete. Yes. Let's go with Pete. Yes, Pete. Johnson. That's who I meant. Pete Johnson. Well, Newell, I mean, really is. He's a sharp dude. Yes. Uh, Because we'll dive into it right now. Is Newell spent 10 years developing the first three versions of Windows. 
Before he left Microsoft, Newell contacted id Software, you know, famous for Doom, and told them that he wanted to make a port for the Windows 95 version of the game for free Mm -hmm. and would give them the source code as well. John Carmack and John Romero, you know, the co-creators of Doom, told Gabe, quote, you'd probably have more fun working on video games than Windows. So kind of this you know, offhand comment they made that kind of sparked something. It, it really did. I mean, t- you can hearken a lot of people's careers back to its software and, and who worked there. And even just talking with John Romero, mm-hmm. you know, you know, who who kind of pushed it. And you could tell that with, with Gabe, you know, again, whenever you say Harvard dropout, it sounds like, oh, they couldn't make it. They made it into Harvard. Yeah. <laughs> These are obviously smart people who were not set to exceed academically, mm-hmm. but exceed in their field outside of that. Absolutely. During this time, Microsoft employees could receive stock in the company. In 1996, Newell and Harrington would sell their stock for upwards of millions of dollars. I think they said that Microsoft made hundreds or thousands of millionaires. Yes. Because, I mean, it was even down to, like, the janitors all own stocks because smaller company, that's one way to kind of get people to come on when you could not pay them as much. Yeah, and, and you're actually investing in the company and – Around this time, too, was when you, you felt a part of the company if you owned it. It's, own, it's, it's employee-owned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you, a lot of breweries do that. It's employee-owned, everything. Like, Interesting. We're, we're going to do that. And so that's what drives it. And like you said, you can save on, on money. You're like, I can't pay you that raise, but I can give you some stock that's mm-hmm. worth these tickets. And then they just they literally created so many millionaires. Mm-hmm. Probably had a good drop-off of people who were like, I'm done. Yeah. Because by default, the two never had to work a day in their lives again, but they wanted to create video games. From there, the two would start Valve. Both got the inspiration to start Valve from a former Microsoft employee, Michael Abrash, who had left Microsoft to work for id. The pair went to visit Abrash at id to learn everything they could from the studio, so they had some idea of how to build a game. Id, for the most part, was less than thrilled about this and did not think that they would ever create uh, a video game, essentially. They, they didn't think that they could make it as video game developers. I know they said that they were kind of like cool guying them. They were just kind of like annoyed that they were there. Yeah, and I think, you know, when Romero's like saying, you should jump into video games, more like, you should come work for me. Yeah, and especially this is 95. Doom had came out. They're, this is now a multi-million dollar company at mm-hmm. this point. So they went from just releasing the occasional game every few months to like, this monolith of a game. So they're rock stars now. Yeah. Well, you know, within 96, as they're starting this up, we jump a few years later into 1998, Mm -hmm. where Valve would go on to release Half-Life, one of the most critically acclaimed shooters to date. You know, this is obviously the the birth of an empire. Mm -hmm. It was evident that Valve quickly became a force to be reckoned with. Valve would go on to start growing rather quickly, hiring developers behind the popular Half-Life mod Counter-Strike, and they would actually acquire TF Software, who made the Team Fortress mod. So this is, again, like we said, they're stumbling on this gold, and they're smart about it. Yes. They made a game. Someone made a mod to it for Counter-Strike and went, come here. And someone, <laughs> made, someone made the TF mod, the Titanfall mod, obviously. And they said, come here. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and you know, again, if you even if you haven't played these games, these are household names. Mm-hmm. You've heard of Team Fortress. You've heard of Counter-Strike. And they were smart to acquire the teams and bring them on immediately. Yes. In 2000, a couple years later, co-founder Mike Harrington did not want to risk another project after Half-Life. So he left the company to spend more time with his wife. And I think, you know, we didn't really touch on those years, but it was a lot for them to really get that game going. Yes. Uh, you'll hear about it eventually. But yeah, there was definitely a lot of times where it's like, this may not work. Valve may not ever happen. Mm-hmm. In 2003, Valve moved to Bellevue, Washington and became Valve Corporation. 
In the same year, Valve would unveil Steam to the World, a digital store for video games. It started out as an easy way to send out updates to Valve games, which were the only games on the site at the time. Which I didn't know that originally. I thought Valve was supposed to be a video game library, but it was more so for just their games. Yes, it was It was an easy way to buy the games online and have those updates pushed instead of having to sound out clunk, clunky updates, mm-hmm. go to the site, find the patch notes, download it, add it to your game. It made it easier for everybody. Mm-hmm. Steam would grow in no time, allowing third-party devs to sell their games on that same website. In 2004... Valve would release Half-Life 2, another absolute home run, banger, smasher, mm-hmm. knocking out of the Parker <laughs> for the studio, and then releasing Half-Life 2 Episode 1. With fans eagerly awaiting Episode 2, Valve had their eyes set on a unique way to release that next chapter. Yeah. Around 2007, Valve was still staying true as a studio that listened to their fan base. Again, tripping over these sticks, and then the fans go, hey buy that stick <laughs> and it turns to gold and they're just like okay <laughs> every year the studio is receiving thousands upon thousands of emails and the valve team read through every single one of them and even replied to a good chunk of it dude it's crazy even like today like gabe will just talk about it like i think you could still like find his email that he's given out so much because even around the time of all these games when he does an interview he's like like i've listened to like a radio show he was on once and someone literally called him was like what's wrong with this tf mod or something he goes um, email me at Gabe Newell at, at valve.com and, and I'll, I'll read over or send this email to this guy. He'll read it over. Like even when they were still like a successful company, very much so like, uh, send me an email. I'll let you know. And again, I'm going to keep bringing the stick analogy, but it's, it's really not. It's a company who, again, produced only a couple of things, but listened to their fans and actually functioned that way. Yeah. In, instead of becoming this company that's like standoffish, you have a, you have a, a customer service department or a PR department. They all responded to this stuff. Yeah. Like, again, how many billionaires like Gabe Newell are going to give you their email or yeah. at least say uh, email this guy who's like a pretty higher up person in the company? Yeah. Who, who will take time out of their day and be like, oh, yeah, that's really cool. But that's what led to the success of the company. Mm-hmm. That's what led to these mod makers creating this stuff because they had passion for the product and they created a, a beautiful physics engine. Absolutely. To being like, hey, guys, you worked on those mods. Why don't you come work for us? Do you want a paycheck? Yeah. Like every week? We can arrange that. You know that passion project you're working on? Do you want to make money and still (laughs) make that passion project? Incredible. And and we're going to see it's really what's going to come about as Portal comes to. Mm -hmm. You know, because now let's dive into really why Portal and how Portal. Exactly. Why and how. And what Portal. And what Portal. Now, Portal didn't start at Valve. Rather, it started at the DigiPen Institute of Technology in Redmond, Washington by Nuclear Monkey Software. Students Kenneth Barnett, Eric Brown, Paul Graham, David Kircher, Scott Clinworth, Sam Lovejoy, Garrett Rickey, and Kim Swift created the game Narbocular Drop, heavily inspired by Eco, which I feel like Eco just comes up in every episode ever that we cover. What's funny, too, is I've never truly played through Eco. I've dabbled. I've watched videos. Mm-hmm. But everyone's like, uh, you, ever, you ever played the Bible? <laughs> called Eco, and we just all love it <laughs> essentially yeah the game was given that name due to the fact that if you google searched the title nothing would show up which was still that time of like how do we create something so original yes. that it needs to stand out but also who is searching for that <laughs> literally <laughs> the, no. reason, the reason why it's no google search it's not a real thing and no one would search it <laughs> it's just a bunch of made up words yep. malarkey the plot involves the plight of Princess No Knees, so named because she is unable to jump. 
captured by a demon. The imprisoned princess discovers that the dungeon she is held in is actually a sentient element creature named Wally. Using Wally's portal-making ability, the princess sets out to escape and defeat the demon. The game totaled a quick 15 minutes. That's a lot going on in 15 minutes, mm -hmm. especially the fact that she has no knees. Listen, it's tough life, no knees. <laughs> good, thing, good thing portal. The Narbocular Drop Team presented it at the 2005 DigiPen Yearly Expo for graduating seniors. For this event, DigiPen brings in developers from all over the country to see students' project. The 2005 Expo featured many world-class developers, including Valve. Now, when Valve employees saw the Narbocular Drop demo, they would tell the students everything they did wrong with the game. Mm -hmm. I love that. So you could have done this, 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 and this better. But surprisingly, the Valve team would set up a meeting at Valve headquarters to present the game. Unbeknownst to them, Valve co-founder Gabe Newell was part of the group listening to their pitch. So 15 minutes into the presentation, Newell asked them to be quiet and then asked what they planned on doing after college. He told them, quote, I don't know who you people are, but I want to hire you to make this game on the Source Engine. Newell loves Nintendo games, so he figured a game like this could appeal to a mass audience. Because at this time, it's three shooters they're doing. Yes. Eh, Half-Life is like a physics puzzle shooter, but it's three shooters. Yeah. So he needed something more for an everything audience. Well, again, it's interesting because you think, again, talk about a roller coaster. These guys from Valve show up, point out everything they did wrong with their mm -hmm. demo, then go, okay, uh, come give a presentation. Gabe Newell's there. Gabe Newell tells them, stop talking. Yeah. And they're like, uh-oh. And then he's like, okay, come come work for us. Yes. Like, I just love, I don't know who you people are. I love <laughs> that that's how he starts out the quote. Again, they've done this company somehow and done it so well. And I think it is that relation. It's Gabe's relation with this and being open. He's not, he is, I don't even call him a leader. He's just one of the guys there who happens to lead the company. And it's like, yeah, I mean, we made that. That sounds really cool. Uh, what, do you, what do you do after college? What's your plan? What's your plan? What's your plan? Just, you just want to come work for us? Yeah. He's this weird sentient being that like, I'm not sure he's real at this point. I'm <laughs> yeah. not ruling out the idea that Gabe Newell is a real person. I mean, pretty much everyone worships a God because <laughs> this is what they create. And, and he listens to the community. Again, the success of Valve, well, is is one, is Steam. But two, <laughs> it's, it's truly listening to that community and listening to the people who are passionate about their projects. And I think it's really what it was, mm -hmm. is in that presentation... You hear a cool concept, you hear the passion, and you go, yes. Yeah, that's really it. That's all That's all they need to hear to start on it. Mm -hmm. But the students were rather shocked. And after the meeting, they spent 20 minutes in the parking lot trying to process what just happened. Because, again, you don't really think, like, it's scary to try to get a job in your own field. And now you've gotten, uh, you know, one of the best jobs you could probably ever get. It goes, to, yeah, it goes from, like, all right, here's our really cool, like, senior project. We're, we're, we're proud of It, it sucks. Anyway, you want to come to Washington, like come to Valve and talk to us? <laughs> Amazing. Uh, sure, sounds good. Oh, yeah, Gabe's there. Anyway, yeah, we'll hire you. <laughs> you know, it goes from this, it's like, again, super weird roller coaster that works out. And not only this, uh, Newell and Steam did hire a, a lot of DigiPen grads. Mm -hmm. um, so this wasn't the first and it won't be the last, but it's it's one that actually they hired them for their project and yes. not just because of their skill trades. Yes. Now, it did take a bit to try and figure out how they were going to take Narbocular Drop and make it into something that they could do. Yes. So the Narbocular Drop team was then paired with other Valve developers and newly hired Psychonauts writer Eric Woolpaw. The overall core team for what would become Portal was less than a dozen people. With such a small team, they didn't have the time to create new assets, so they mainly used ones from Half-Life 2, 
a la every single other Valve game. (laughs) Eventually, the design of the game would be a more cleaned up environment. They took out a lot of the objects that they put there that weren't important to the missions because it was rather distracting to the players trying to get through this puzzle element. Mm -hmm. Without an abundance of time, though, this also meant that no human characters would make their way into the game. From there, the game would be created as a standalone expansion to the Half-Life universe, but not a Half-Life game itself. And we see that through almost all of the Valve games that'll come out, especially Portal and the Half-Lives, is they are loosely linked. Yeah, they're in the same world, but like... You know, when the Combine's coming in, that's when uh, people in, in Aperture, like, kind of hit in there. There's, like, a whole other, you know, you could go down this rabbit hole of, like, all that lore and whatnot. But it, it's super interesting how they did do it. Yeah, and at the beginning of development, the Portal team sat in a room and asked themselves, hmm, what school of philosophy would the game be based on? After 15 minutes of silence, someone mentioned, I, I, I don't know, but everyone loves cake. <laughs> and cake is what the game is going to be centered around. But the team just didn't know exactly how to do that yet. Yeah, imagine that. So what's what's the story of this game? Cake. Is it going to be like an you know, the allegory of the cave? Are we talking about Plato, Socrates? What about a nice yellow? <laughs> or a nice, nice, nice double fudge? Everyone loves that. Everyone loves it. <laughs> Valve also wanted the game to center around the portal technology itself and have nods to the Half-Life universe, which did make the story pretty difficult to write. Humor crept its way into the game simply because that's what Woolpaw was comfortable writing. Obviously, with Psychonauts being a nice, fun puzzle game, an action-ish game, but so much humor and and dry, witty humor thrown out. Mm -hmm. Cannot wait for the second one. Before the team started truly working on the game, they broke down Narbocular Drop into a 2D game just to make sure that the mechanic at its core was fun. Which I think is genius. Like, mm-hmm. let's take a step backwards just to make sure this might be fun before we actually go through with it. Yeah, you're, you're basically building this. You're, you're kind of doing your blueprints. You mm-hmm. want to build a house. you got to have some blueprints first to test it, make sure this would work on, you know, a 2D space, mm-hmm. and then actually put the assets behind it. Absolutely. The story needed to be simple. That way, the narrative story and the gameplay would never contradict one another. At GDC 2008, Wolpaw stated that the game was going to be a, quote, lean storytelling machine if it killed us. This meant that a lot of good dialogue had to be cut from the game, but it was for the better. It it really was. I mean, if you've ever played the portals, especially Portal 1, there's not much dialogue that goes on. Mm -mm. It's It's, all GLaDOS. It's a a one-sided conversation with GLaDOS and you, with the environment kind of responding to it. Mm Mm-hmm, Yeah. The first real daunting task the team would have to face was porting the game over to the Source engine. You know, that engine that uh, uh, has been created for Day One for Mm Half-Life and all those other games. With the help of some Valve developers, they were able to do it, but not without an almost total redesign of the game itself. Getting the portals to work in the game was probably the biggest challenge above all else. The first portals made for the game were actually photos of Christopher Reeves when he played Superman. So you would they would just shoot it and you couldn't see through the other side. It was just his face. Yeah. For some reason, I love it. It's like this really pixelated version of it. it. Amazing. Even though that they went through several changes from the original portals in Narbocular Drop, mm-hmm. they kept the same color scheme of orange and blue portals because... The the portals in there were what? They were almost like a gargoyle face, yeah. and, and one pair of eyes were orange and the other were blue. Mm-hmm. So they kind of kept that theme going with it. Yeah, and having those complements of orange and blue to go together, mm-hmm. you know, it's harkening back to, uh, I think they really chose it because of my grade school colors. <laughs> um, that's what they were, and then they became uh, orange and brown. 
um, <laughs> which is just an even better pair, in my opinion, <laughs> of really, really putting students' spirits up of being just the poop-colored school. <laughs> Valve also had to alter some real-life physics in order to make the game more fun. So, for instance, if you if you put two portals next to each other on the ground and you pour paint in them, it's going to be this constant stream of going up and down. Mm-hmm. But I remember watching an interview with one of the uh, developers, and they said, in reality, it would slow down and it would finally sit on the floor. Mm-hmm. It's hard to explain without a visual, but they changed like physics that way. It would be fun. Like When you jump through a portal and you instantly like turn the other way so your feet are always on the ground, they mm-hmm. talked about like that's never actually going to happen, but we had to change some things to make it more fun. Well, yeah, you, you make somewhat of a reality of, of working within gravity and working mm-hmm. with acceleration of velocity, but you also have to make it interesting and fun to be goofy with it. Yeah, because if they stuck to trying to replicate real-life physics, this game wouldn't be as fun. Again, you're shooting portals. <laughs> <laughs> you're... Well, 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 realistic portals, mind you. Uh, excuse me, you are <laughs> ripping the fabric of time and space <laughs> with realistic portals. <laughs> but uh, portal playtests were done by friends and families of the teams working on portal, along with random customers at a GameStop that the team would recruit from. Even Valve's co-founder Gabe Newell's children playtested the game and said, Yes, Dad. (laughs) We love you. (laughs) Playtests, according to Swift, were the most important thing that the studio did for Portal. Now, Swift, remember, she was one of the students who's done it, and Mm -hmm. now she has come on as a game dev, you know, fully working with Portal team. Yes. They were doing it within the first week of development. So that playtest, as soon as you started getting that devs going... Start, start testing out, see if it works. Yes. Through playtests, the game would go through countless changes with not only gameplay, but the story itself, so it was a better game to play. After every playtest, the players were asked to describe what the story was about. If they could immediately do so, the story needed to be changed. They also cleaned up the art direction to give them a more need-to-know basis on the environment. With this, the studio knew that they needed to be ready to cut anything. So you shouldn't get attached to much. Yeah, and I mean, it was whenever they first started, you know, we talk about the environment, it was supposed to be more of a uh, damaged uh, and distorted environment Mm -hmm. from Half-Life, but they realize it's too distracting because at the core of this game, it's supposed to be very simple and straightforward. So they're like, we need to clean things up. We need to take out objects that have nothing to do with your puzzle or anything like that. Yes, and, and it worked out. And mm-hmm. it made it into its own game instead of being a weird Half-Life ripoff or secondary or an episode three, if you yeah. call it that. It became its own thing. And, and, it, and I think it was necessary. And it's smart that they did it where after every play test was a story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, portals? <laughs> yeah. And well, it's like, all right, scrap it. Well, essentially, GLaDOS became the story. Yes. Because GLaDOS was not originally in the game. Playtesters had fun playing the game but kept asking, when does the game actually start? Mm-hmm. Valve knew that they needed an antagonist when hearing all this feedback, and the game still needed to have some kind of consequences in it. Without it, they were just playing a lengthy tutorial. Because, yeah, at the end of the day, unless you have GLaDOS voice nagging at you, you're discovering, you know, the sketches of, of Ratman, like mm-hmm. all that stuff. Like, if you don't have that, it is just like this weird, really chill game that you play occasionally. It's, yeah, it's a weird sandbox. It's a weird mm-hmm. sandbox that's like, it's almost like it would have been a play test for Half-Life, of, yeah, like, testing yeah. out the physics on these levels to see if it could be used in the game. Pretty much. Now, while trying to figure out who the main protagonist of the game would be, the team used a character from Half-Life 2 as a placeholder during development. Newell approached the team one day and simply suggested that they make the protagonist a woman. So they went with Newell's idea. Thus, GLaDOS was born. 
GLaDOS pushing the player to use the companion cube actually spawned as an idea from Woolpaw. He was reading declassified interrogation manuals from the government, as you do on a nice, nice <laughs> Sunday morning, and learned that when someone is in isolation for a long time, they get attached to inanimate objects. So that kind of becomes your... It, it, think of Castaway. Mm-hmm. You know, having Wilson, the Wilson! volleyball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's that type of thing. When you have no one else with you, you, mm-hmm. you try and latch on to something. Yeah. The pink hearts were also added to reinforce the idea that they're special and you should take them with you. Yeah, because I think it's level 17 where GLaDOS has you go through this whole mission with this companion cube. And then GLaDOS says, now destroy it. Yeah. And that's like one of the things you're like, but why? And and the hearts were such a good take. And it is that tongue-in-cheek comedy of like, it's, it's having GLaDOS as a robot trying to understand humans and it's like you like hearts you take this thing with you you love it <laughs> now kill it yeah <laughs> so it's horrible at the same time that that was a turning point for a lot of people you know glados and the throughout the game we'll talk about it gets a little, little suspicious on how she's acting and then everyone's mm-hmm. like okay i hate glados now yep because at the end of the game glados mentions the party associate that will escort shell once she leaves the facility so as we're getting there it's like someone will take you out don't worry about it like yeah because i think it's when when you escape, spoiler for the thing we're going to talk about here soon, uh, Glados. Starts Sorry, to, spoiler on like a twenty almost year old game. But continue. <laughs> uh, she says like, "Oh, I'm going to try to kill you." And then when you escape, she goes, "I'm just kidding. Lay down on your belly, and our party associate will come get you, and we're just going to go have a good party." Like mm-hmm. such again, it's so dumb, but it's funny. No, it, it was great because originally the robot would be seen in the shadows stalking Shell. And at the end of the game, drag her back into the facility after she uh, escapes. Mm -hmm. Initially, the robot was cut from the original game, but in 2010, Valve would update the game through Steam, adding in the new ending of the party robot, rather than Shell's original ending of Triumph and Escape. Yes. This update also added cryptic hidden images and Morse code to the game as well. Yeah, we'll dive into that here. With the game being rather popular, but only available in the orange box... Valve approached Microsoft and told them that they were open to selling Portal on Xbox Live Arcade. Microsoft initially rejected the idea as the game was too large. And eventually Microsoft would bite and Portal would be released through Xbox Live Arcade as Portal, still alive, for 1,200 Microsoft points or 15 US dollars. The game would be a whopping 629 megabytes, making it the largest Xbox Live Arcade game at the time. This version would contain maps made by fans for the 2D version of the game Portal, the Flash version. Mm -hmm. And the bonus levels would be available for PC users for free. And you can still pick that up today. I don't know about on the Xbox Live Arcade, but man, if you're playing on Steam and you have a Steam sale, they're like, do you want Portal for like seven cents? <laughs> Come no, pick it up. Like, you don't, like, how about two cents? Just, just, just take it. I usually see who's on my Steam library. If they don't have it, I just gift it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, here's eight cents. Play this game. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's like the development for this game was super interesting because it was, it was a Valve story of, oh, that's cool come work for us and mm-hmm. seeing how much it drastically changed because Narbocular drop it was you were a princess in a castle yes. essentially and then how they changed that you know I, I love the genius idea that they're like let's make it a half-life game it's in the same universe mm-hmm. that way we can just bring over all of these assets and make life easier and use it perfectly the other thing too if, if you haven't checked it out you can still play Narbocular drop it, oh, is a, really? it is available for free on download so just search it it was it was a free game that was added to Windows. Uh, Interesting. That that they still have like the original game. You can jump in and play. And there's still there's a speed run category for it. 
Um, huh. so, so check it out. Check out where Portal Origins came from because the full game is still out there. And enough of me trying to market it. Let's talk about how they tried to market their Portal game. Which was which was interesting how it, it, it was marketed. It was because it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because though Portal was added to the orange box as a bonus game, it was a blessing in disguise for the Portal team. Marketing the game would have been a challenge itself because, again, you did have Xbox Live Arcade. So there were indie games, but you're talking about Geometry Wars and yeah. Castle Crashers. And this wasn't like that era of those indie games like the, gaining those, traction. Exactly. And there wasn't those high-end puzzles yet. It was mm-hmm. more so like... Top down, move, move, move. All right, cool, you did the puzzle thing. Hit a few switches without getting stabbed. Yes, so this really changed up. And there wasn't really that market. So so as release started to come about, you know, it was guaranteed to sell. And it, as it was packaged with Half-Life 2 and Team Fortress 2, which were two huge titles that people were waiting for. Mm-hmm. The game did stand out on its own, though. And it was even the cover feature for the January 2008 issue of the game developer magazine yeah so again it's like this should this could have just been like uh gone by the wayside but mm-hmm. it somehow still was its own entity next to these juggernauts it really was and again it was a game no one expected no one i, I love how valve does this they make stuff no one wants <laughs> but then everyone wants it well yeah same with like half-life it was a shooter with a story yes which no one asked for it, but they got it. Even most recently with Half-Life Alex, mm-hmm. no one asked for a half I mean, I guess a lot of people did ask for Half-Life 3, but no one expected, it, uh, first of all, Valve to put anything out. <laughs> uh, two, to have a really well-done physics game in virtual reality, VR. You know, having having like the, the, the Valve virtual reality system and having something that works so well with the index mm-hmm. was amazing. So so the marketing there, like like we said... Geniuses with it of of first of all, I think the orange box was super smart. It was. And it, it made sense in a way to get Valve into more hands that weren't just PC players. Cause I believe this was the first time we're getting it onto a console. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, other like uh first time releases. Yes. Um, yes, cause, yes. Cause before what they'll do is they'll release the game and then it gets ported a few years later. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Gearbox is porting everything that they were doing at one point. But yeah, so this is the first time that they're sending stuff directly to the console. And this is the first time that I've ever played any of it because I bought the orange box for the Xbox 360 mm-hmm. and dove into all those games. And that's where I got introduced to Half-Life, introduced to Team Fortress, introduced to Portal. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of the most action-packed little, almost like a demo disc mm-hmm. yeah. that, that came out with like a bunch of these titles, but full games of amazingness. Yeah, five games of... it. it it's something I don't think is ever going to happen again. It's it's that perfect mix of video games that are all similar but different. Yes. And it, again, it's a perfect storm that I don't think is ever going to happen again. We'll never see that. No, I think Valve in and of itself is an anomaly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that came out with IPs that weren't flashy. They weren't something that was like in your face with the marketing and with mm-hmm. videos and all this other stuff that has just kind of rode that wave on it. And then yeah. started obviously has Steam, which was just started as you know an updater, basically. <laughs> yeah. And then as third party got on there, I mean, that is the quintessential go-to buying place on PC. You still have Origin. You still have the Epic Store. You still have a couple other avenues. Mm-hmm. But Steam is still... You know, for me, at least my true go-to if I'm going to go purchase a game or Absolutely. have a game library. Absolutely. But but really, 
is where, you know, we were talking about how it's an odd anomaly. Even how it was revealed was kind of bizarre. Mm-hmm. At the EA 2006 Summer Showcase, the orange box was first revealed to the world by none other than Gabe Newell himself. Because they said, it's just a bunch of games no one cared about essentially coming out. And mm-hmm. then, like, all of a sudden, Gabe Newell comes out. At the this president EA. of this company who's doing it? Yeah. yeah, like, all of a sudden, he comes out an EA Showcase, and everyone's like, what are we going to get here? Mm-hmm. So the trailer would play promoting Half-Life 2 Episode 2, the revived Team Fortress, because I believe for a while everyone thought that project was dead, mm-hmm. and the new IP portal. And again, it was one of those things, not one of those particular things really like overshadowed the other. There were all three major projects. Everyone's like, yes, 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 they yes, were, yes. They were different enough, but tied together. Yes. And then finally, we have the the update slash like ARG that they put into the game. So in 2010, when the game was updated on Steam, a new achievement was included, Transmission Received. Fans would notice more radios were added to the game. Now, originally, when a radio was moved, it would just play music. Now, when the player moves them to a specific location, the light that was added to them would go from red to green, and random noises or beeps would play. Some messages were decoded using Morse code, and others turned out to be images. This would lead the player into an ARG rabbit hole, finding themselves on GLaDOS backup files with images and memos teasing Portal 2. So I think it's a genius thing that you go to update your your game and that ends up being this marketing tactic because you would like go online. Because I think in the video game, there was a username and password and you would go to the certain website mm-hmm. and type that in and like search some things like they made like this whole interactive website for it. Yeah, autom- the augmented reality game or group on the ARG uh, was really smart. Yes, you know it's a tactic that Halo had used through a lot of their first marketing campaigns to get people online, yes. out in the wild. Other games have done it as well, and it's a very, very smart way. And what's what's odd in terms of gaming for this is that Steam still updated the game years and years later, mm-hmm. and still is updating it and well, and and doing things with it. Well, didn't they update? Half-Life, the original one, like 2017 or something, yes. to, to just fix a few bugs? like and, and because it's such a community that's still alive, whether uh-huh. it's a speedrunning community, a casual community, it's still there. And without Steam, it would I don't think they would have any of that. But having Steam, it's still a poster child. That's why when Steam sales happen, they're like, hey, get all of our stuff for a couple bucks. Exactly. You know, because cause we want you to play our things. You want to, we want you to be in the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. To be in there, and, and it just makes sense. So, so I think without it, you might not have had something like this. But man, the change was so welcome. Mm-hmm. And, and and really, I think what stood out, as we've said time and time again, that they had to keep going back to the drawing board was what's the story? Yes. What's the campaign? How is it going to work? Mm-hmm. And, and and really, the game starts with Shell waking up to find herself in the Aperture Science Laboratory, being instructed by the AI genetic life form and disk operating system Glados. Shell must go through the laboratory with the Aperture Science handheld portal device, or the portal gun, in order to pass a series of tests. Because basically, GLaDOS is saying, you know, we had other humans test this. We need to make sure the portal gun works. Mm -hmm. You know, you're a test Mm -hmm. subject. Uh, When you're done, you're done. Yep. And when she is done, she's promised cake as a reward, because all humans like cake. Throughout the game, Shell is guided by GLaDOS to complete these tests. At first, she seems to be a helpful presence, you know, kind of aiding you in the puzzles, saying like, oh, this one's pretty easy. You did a great job. I'm very proud of you. Mm -hmm. To slowly, as you get further and further in, she's like, oh, you're doing too well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, starts making like jabs at her and whatnot. And even like making uh, 
uh, comments about those robots that you mm-hmm. see in there, which, uh, funny enough, you know, those robots shoot you and they don't actually like kill you or hurt you. Because I guess I found this out recently, like in the lore, they're, the bullets are spring-loaded because mm-hmm. they cram so much bullets in the robots. It's a really weak spring. So that's the lore as to why the bullets don't hurt because they're just like, it's almost if someone's throwing bullets at you. Oh, that's fantastic. And at first, as we said, seems pretty helpful, mm-hmm. but it gets more sinister the further you get. And stop showing that she cares about, you know, Shell's well-being whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And throughout the game, Shell finds rooms where someone was living and attempting to survive. Along with graffiti throughout the game, one notable piece states, the cake is a lie. That's uh, Doug Ratman. The, the pre- I think he was the previous guy uh, right before Shell. Yes, and he's the one who made it the furthest and tried to leave these clues. Because you also have like arrows. Kind of, mm-hmm. When you get further in the game and you go like behind the scenes of it, instead of your clean white lab... There'll be, like, arrows and little Mm -hmm. helpful things kind of helping you where to go. Yeah. And when Shell finally completes all the tests, GLaDOS attempts to kill her in an incinerator. As Shell makes her escape, GLaDOS admits that she killed everyone in the the facility, and only Shell was left. Shell makes her way into the maintenance area where she finds GLaDOS. And after destroying the AI's morality core, GLaDOS can now go into full assault mode against Shell. Shell continues to destroy the personality cores, so the GLaDOS starts to like break down and, mm-hmm. and freak out mm-hmm. as you keep destroying these cores. Uh, and the area starts to fall apart. And everything is eventually transported to the surface. Yes. The game ends with Shell lying on the ground, seeing the facility destroyed around her. Yeah, so it's kind of like this happy ending, like she made it out. Mm-hmm. But in the updated version of the game, Shell is dragged back into the facility by a robot referred to GLaDOS as the party escort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they were just like, you know what? No good ending for her. She's just she's going back in, which I mean, mm-hmm. now they know they're doing a second one, they need a reason to get Shell back in the game. Because I think when they first wrote and released this, they I don't th- know if they were planning on doing a sequel. I don't think they knew what they were doing ever in any of their <laughs> games. I think yeah. they're just like, all right, let's make it. Mm-hmm. But then let's only make two everything. Yeah, but as I said, the the, the campaign is super straightforward, mm-hmm. and the story is super interesting. As I said, because you start getting uh glad or destroying Glados's uh personality, yes, uh, uh, cores, and that's how you kind of overall defeat her because you have to shoot. Essentially, she's shooting rockets at you, and you make the rockets go into portals that shoot that, and then mm-hmm. you grab them and throw them in the incinerator. Yep. Probably revenge for the companion cube you had to destroy. It's true. <laughs> yeah, so I said, the, the campaign was pretty interesting, but there were some things that didn't make their way into the campaign. And let's start off with probably my favorite thing that was cut, because it was just hilarious, were emails. Mm-hmm. So after the developers were discussing putting emails in the game over email, they realized reading the emails they were sending weren't even fun, so why would that be in the game? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, send it back and forth, like, should we include this one, should we include this one? It's like, I mean, I hate doing this. This is I, just work. I hate emailing in real life, yeah. Yeah. So anytime I have to do a game where I have to read a bunch of notes or emails, I'm just like, uh, but thank God <laughs> that they cut them. But you know, I've also talked about uh, the Rat Man or Doug Ratman, uh, who was cut just due to time constraints. Yeah, he's supposed to be an NPC that mm-hmm. you were supposed to interact with at times or see. But I think it made the game even better and more mysterious just having his left behind trail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think they do uh, eventually do a tie-in comic for Portal Two where you actually learn more about him. Mm-hmm. But uh, and then the next thing we have is uh, Glados. Her original form was supposed to be a shimmering cube, mm-hmm. so I think like almost like holographic. But yeah, it's supposed to be like almost like a sentient AI with with no reality tied in. Mm-hmm. 
but it, it it's so much better having a physicality to it. Yeah, because you can't shoot a hologram with a, a <laughs> rocket launcher. But that's I, I love that justification you have for it. I can't shoot it with a rocket launcher. <laughs> Why do I want this? What's also interesting were the final boss fights. So several boss battles were created. One with James Bond lasers. The second was actually more Did of a- we have uh, sharks with freaking lasers on their freaking heads? <laughs> I wish we had that in Portal. We also had more of a combat level with guns mm-hmm. akin uh, to a first-person shooter. And then the uh, final one that was cut was going to be a chase sequence. Yeah. Uh, which which was the only one that I think would be viable as far as the game was. Like, if you're running through and have to portal, portal, like, more yeah. of that that's, like, quick-paced puzzles. Yeah, because that's what they did when GLaDOS tries to kill you is you have to think on your feet and mm-hmm. get through this really quick. And it was a little slower pace, so that's fine. You don't get too anxious. So I think if they did that, that would have worked out. Yeah. Next we have is that, you know, we talked about their their uh, orange and blue portals, and they even got that color scheme from Narbocular Drop. But at one point, they were blue and red. Mm-hmm. And I think there was even a green one as well that they just decided these two work, and I think they do. Just the color yeah. palette is perfect. It's clean enough. It's not too – because I think red and blue is also just like – they're too close – not too close to each other, but being complements within it, it just mm-hmm. – they're just – too close. If you have like a tertiary, like orange and blue, it made more sense. Yeah. And then finally, Valve considered a co-op mode, but they couldn't really come up with a way to make it fun until they're like, wait, we got it. Portal 2. Let's mm-hmm. go. Yeah. So overall, not too many crazy things were cut, any crazy aspects, but still interesting to see some of the ideas that they had for this game. Yeah. And, and it's it's really great that we got what we did and they took a lot of those ideas, that, as Jesse had said, that were cut, applied them to the second game or scrapped them all together because they just were not fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, a lot of sequels you play uh, are partly a sum of cut content from the first one. Mm-hmm. It's a continuation of what worked, plus things that you tr- wanted to try that couldn't mm-hmm. make it or mm-hmm. that didn't work necessarily there and improved upon it. Yeah. One thing that I think did work really well with Portal and well with a, works well with a lot of the stuff that Valve has done is the, the soundtrack, the music, the noises. Mm-hmm. The Portal video game soundtrack was composed by Kelly Bailey and Mike Moraski. While brainstorming for the music, both Bailey and Moraski felt that there were two main styles that needed to be heard. A future of the 70s on the outside, and once the player was in the, quote, you know, behind-the-scenes part of the game, a future of the 80s style. Essentially, the soundtrack needed to convey a modernized future-of-the-past feeling. So Daft Punk (laughs) is what they're going for. That's fine. Yeah, I'm fine with that. The palette chosen for the soundtrack was as much a metaphor for what was going on in the story as it was for giving the explorable environment a synthetic tech feel. Bailey and Moraski wanted the music to feel artificial and atmospheric as if Aperture Science had created it itself. Which, it, it, that's what it feels like. It, it, it does. And, and it works perfectly with it of that very clean-esque white-walled Super mm-hmm. clean, bubbly. It kind of sounds like someone's just sitting at a synthesizer and occasionally hitting a different key, yeah, and like just letting the noise just pan out. Mm-hmm. And and it works for what you're doing. It's it's a chill puzzle game at the start. Mm-hmm. Not much was recorded acoustically. Instead, relying heavily, as Jesse had said, upon pure electronic or sampled instruments such as the electric piano or patchable synthesizers. The organic music that was recorded was still heavily processed and mixed. Ellen McLean's voice is Glados in the game as well as the Mwah, Chef's Kiss song that plays the, during the credits. Mm-hmm. Stiff arpeggios, a rhythmic voice leading, unconventional rhythms, and the use of the whole tone scale are some of the musical techniques that were used. For the finale, the team thought it would be nice to have an ending that felt happy. 
At the time, Jonathan Colton had just quit his day job to write music full-time, releasing a new song every Friday for a year when he started drawing a big fan base from Seattle. I wonder who did that first, Into It, Over It, or this guy? This guy. This guy? Jonathan Colton. Jonathan is a, Colton. I'm sorry. Jonathan Colton is a saint and a beautiful man, <laughs> and I know all the songs by heart. Okay, so don't insult Bye Bye, Bye Butterfree or yes. Jonathan Colton, because yes. Alex will... Get very upset. I think Colton is also an NPR. <laughs> He's on the game show that happens at eleven or noon on Saturday. It's the one with Ophelia Eisenberg, or however you say her name. But she, he's on there, and he's great, and he does musical wit, and it's hilarious. And anyway, background story and tangent on Jonathan Colton, real quick. His fire, his Friday music is perfect, and I think he came with like three albums of it. Hmm. And I love the covers because it's just him in like random situations. Like one was him like bundled in a coat like by a mountain. <laughs> and and he has a lot of hits from that. And then they did a greatest hits album of it, um, which we'll talk about here, that he actually became pretty entwined with Valve for a little bit. Which is awesome. Which is which is so cool that like they were able to put this together. Yeah. After playing there several times and drawing large crowds yes. in uh, Seattle, he was approached by designer Kim Swift to write for the game after a performance. Having been a fan of Half-Life, Colton did not think twice about saying yes. And it turns out having a game end with a song was writer Eric Wolpaw's dream. So it all kind of worked out. Mm -hmm. And and if you guys don't recognize the song, it's the one that's this is a triumph kind of song. Yeah, uh, like still alive and everything. It's actually a very catchy song. It really is. And I love that it's still within GLaDOS's environment of like, I'm so proud of you right now. I I know I tried to kill you, um, but you did it. (laughs) <laughs> the song would become a huge commercial success, being remixed for the album The Greatest Video Game Music 2, having its own vinyl disc release in 2017 for the 10th anniversary of the game, as well as being remixed for Colton's album released in 2013. Do you own the vinyl? No. <laughs> I don't. The song is additionally heard in Left 4 Dead 2, mm-hmm. Counter-Strike Global Offensive, and in Rock Band as a playable song that can be downloaded. Side tangent with Mr. Colton again. So... In Left 4 Dead 2, this is where on, I forget what map it is, but you start off coming off a tugboat, mm-hmm. and you can go into this little, like, corner bar, and there's a jukebox there, and you can play it. That's also where, uh, like, Reply Your Brains plays, which is a zombie song that he made, <laughs> which is about uh, Bob from The Office Down the Hall. It's good to see you, buddy. How you been? Where he's emailing his friend Tom about, like, hey, man, like, it's all, like, office, like, pleasantries yeah hey like i know that you're locked inside this mall right now you're a great dude it's all good anyway i'm gonna eat your brains <laughs> it's, it's pretty good so so he's he's been intertwined with that for a bit mm-hmm. and they've, they've produced some mm-hmm. stuff together which is cool yeah the portal video game soundtrack was released on december 21st 2007 as part of the orange box soundtrack which also contained all the soundtracks from other valve created games half-life 2 episode 1 and episode 2 and the Team Fortress 2 soundtrack. It featured 13 tracks for a total of 43 minutes and 49 seconds. Mm-hmm. Now, the Portal soundtrack would be the last soundtrack that Bailey composed for Valve, like a full soundtrack. I think he came in in 2015 and did some Counter-Strike mm-hmm. things, like additional tracks. But other than that... Nothing is full release. Mm-hmm, this, was the, this was what sent him off. And it's a great soundtrack. I agree. And we'll break down the release versions of this. We've talked about a lot of them, but you obviously had the orange box to start it off, mm-hmm. the Xbox Live Arcade, uh, the release to a Mac version of it through Steam. Yep. PlayStation 3, obviously the Steam release. Yep. And the NVIDIA Shield. Yeah, which I believe it's just the Android Yes, version. it's the Android version of it. Which I love. It's such a random thing for it to release on. The NVIDIA Shield's amazing. 
I've, n- I've never never touched it. So so it's it's the same kind of company that makes graphics cards and a lot mm-hmm. of other stuff, and it's a handheld port. It's it's really well done. It's kind of what every handheld kind of wants to be, and you can also stream a lot of stuff to mm. the NVIDIA Shield from your computer. Interesting, interesting. But let's wrap it up. Let, let's talk about what did the public think of this? How did it work out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and let's start with this, this quote from Gabe Newell himself. He said, quote, I think Portal's ending is one of the strongest endings we've ever done. Valve really didn't know how well Portal was going to do. Sure, enough playtesters really liked the game, but there wasn't a huge market for first-person puzzle games to base it off of at the time, let alone ones that implemented comedy into the mix. Even though the game was only roughly four hours long, it was an instant hit with fans, one that no one really saw coming to begin with. In 2007, this was an era where AAA titles ruled. You had your shooters, your Call of Duties, your Halos, your, your Halo Battlefields. Halo 3 came out. Uh, didn't uh, uh, World at War come out as well? Mm-hmm. Like, all these huge projects came out at this time. Yeah, and, and it's all dominating it. So to have Valve come in, especially into a console market, mm-hmm. and try and break into some of this stuff was insane. But really, somehow Portal still stuck out. The Orange Box would go on to sell over 4 million copies worldwide. When Valve launched Steam for Mac in 2010... They would offer Portal for free for a limited amount of time, in which over 1.5 million people took advantage of this. Incredible. Now, in 2009, ThinkGeek posted on April 1st that they were releasing Portal t-shirts that would act as a mirror, equipped with LED screens and a camera in the shirt. Yet many fans assumed this was real before they actually realized that it was April 1st. Now, Mm -hmm. ThinkGeek would have to tragically inform fans afterwards that after 128 test subjects were injured or maimed, that they would not be releasing the Portal t-shirt. So here's the thing. We don't know if it's real or not. I mean, they unfortunately had to shut the project down. 128 (laughs) people possibly lost their lives to this. I mean, it's a it's a tough project to shut down. Well, it's cool seeing like these pop culture references now because Portal is pop culture yes. uh, through and through. Seeing that, and they, there was such a high demand for it that they were like, "Uh oh, people don't get that this is a joke." Which is which is a perfect April Fool's joke, and I love it. <laughs> I love the response to it of like now we're really being tongue in cheek about mm-hmm. what Portal is, and you know having Glados kind of being like the hot topic wet dream mm-hmm. type thing of like that character that's like witty but dry mm-hmm. but serious but still robotic it, it worked out for a lot of those fans and worked out to like you said be this pop culture reference and really the only at the time i would say pop culture mainstream from steam or yes. from valve as well because team fortress 2 and team fortress has its own crazy fan base that do their own thing but mm-hmm. as far as like the public goes this was it well yeah and especially a lot of people say that portal should be a starter game yeah this should, like no matter how old you are or your experience anything like well you have no experience um but if you if you never played a video game play this one first yes this, this will help you because not only does it get you excited about playing a game it's fun to play but the dry witty humor mm-hmm. the whole story narrative of it and the crazy ending to it is something that I think allows... And that's why, in today's standards, indie games have such a foothold. Yes. It's allowed people who've never played a game or have only played, like let's say, a Mario game or something like that yeah. to get into it. And, mm-hmm. and so that's really where Portal started it, I think, for everybody. Absolutely. Now, Portal not only makes an appearance in the LEGO Dimensions game, where we also see Doug Ratman, mm-hmm. who has four cameo appearances, and that, that LEGO Dimensions appearance also got Portal its own set, but director Guillermo del Toro even used GLaDOS voice in Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. This was Valve approved, of course. So that's really cool. They literally used, he loved that game so much. Yeah. It's like, can I use 
GLaDOS for my my giant Hollywood blockbuster movie. And they're like, yes, please, sir. <laughs> the game has gone on to win dozens of awards and accolades, like Polygon placing Portal as the 84th best video game of all time. GameSpot gave it the 2007 Game of the Year, and IGN put it on their top 100 games of all time list. Portal even earns a 90 out of 100 on Metacritic, making it, like I think it's like a top tier Mm-hmm. That Metacritic kind of says right. super fresh, as someone might say on yeah, Rotten Tomatoes. N- ninety to you know um, ninety nine. There's only been a handful, if not one. It was Ocarina of Time. That's like top tier right yes. there. And on March sixteenth, two thousand twelve, through September thirtieth, two thousand twelve, the game, along with eighty others, would be on display at the Smithsonian American Art Museum for the Art of Video Games exhibition. Yeah, this is that era where we are truly. I think mid two thousands and up is where we started seeing that argument of uh, video games being art mm-hmm. uh, come to light and more and more people realizing that they are. Mm-hmm. And a bit of Alex trivia. When I was in Scotland in 2014, 2015, whatever, I went to the National Museum there mm-hmm. and they had a video game exhibit. Portal was there. Amazing. But but it, that makes sense because it mm-hmm. is like it's it's awesome to see that kind of stuff, to see that these games are considered art even though – you know, uh, 50 years prior seeing Pong, no one would have been like, yeah, this is this is going to escalate into something that's going to be art. Yeah, that would have been a form that's not just a weird entertainment thing or mm-hmm. that, you know, the stoner down the street just sits there and plays games. It's now <laughs> uh, you know, an actual art subject that comes about mm-hmm. that can be discussed like music, can mm-hmm. be discussed like film and cinema and things like that, that has so much more put into it, whether it's time-based or, or what people have to do with it. And it's really cool to see that. Yeah. In 2010, college professor Michael Abbott, who teaches at the Wabash College, Crawfordsville, Indiana, requires students to play Portal as part of his, quote, required reading. The same class requires students to read works from Aristotle and Shakespeare's Hamlet. He plans to incorporate more video games into his curriculum. And in 2011, Valve invited students from the Evergreen School to visit their office, play Portal, and design levels for it. They feel that the game is a way to make physics, math, logic, spatial reasoning, probability, and problem-solving fun and interesting. Mm-hmm. This was actually a collaborative effort from the White House called The Digital Promise. So mm-hmm. this game is starting to see itself become, like Minecraft, uh, part of uh, everyday lessons at school. Yes, yes. something that, that has, has evolved from just being a fun puzzle game to being an actual, like, hey, this is, like, Fun physics. Yes, absolutely. Like, like this really changes it up and, and makes it, instead of just on paper, like, yeah, well, if you have this tangential line that goes through this arc, what is the trajectory of it? It's now you can just literally see it. Mm-hmm. And and we see a lot of spawns out of that, like Polybridge, Portal 2, and a couple of, of those other ones that are those building games and building block games that mm-hmm. deal with physics, deal with uh, even those, like, car-making games that are out now. Like, like seeing that really spawn from Portal. Absolutely. Now, one thing that the team on Portal was most proud of was the ending scene. When Shell is lying on the ground, a hula hoop, known as Hoopy the Hoop, falls down in front of her. Now, the team assumed that the internet would love this odd detail, since they did. They never expected, quote, the cake is a lie, to become a meme. In fact, Valve even considered making Hoopy the Hoop merch before the cake meme became popular. What if we steal that from our merch? Excuse me, excuse me. What if we decide to have an idea that might be kind of like a hula hoop for our merch? Let's do it. And call it 
Hoppy the Hope. <laughs> I think it's perfect. I, I've, I never, it. I've never heard of it before. I think everyone will love it. I just love that they didn't expect the cake as a lie to become so popular. They're like, this hula hoop that you see for 10 seconds. And you know what, you know what it probably was? Someone's been on a 13-hour binge doing this, and they put the hoop in. It just drops really weird, and they're just laughing their ass off in the corner. And they're like crazy. They became Doug Ratman, essentially. <laughs> yeah. And other people come over, and they're also sleep-deprived. Like, look at that hula hoop. Let's, let's, let's print some T-shirts yeah. about this stuff. What's his name? Hoopy, <laughs> and it's like, oh my god, we got him, we got him. Uh, so that's my assumption. I assume that's exactly what went on. Yeah. But after the success of Portal, Newell saw that innovation can spawn from freedom. Newell would have most Valve employees stop work on their current projects and have them work on new mechanics and video games. He thought that someone at Valve could make something as innovative as the portals in the game and use it as a portal sequel which i think they were they were experimenting with depth of field on mm-hmm. a camera mm-hmm. which is super bizarre but and and kind of ahead of its time we really didn't get we still don't have true depth of field in gaming mm-hmm. but polygon uh, put out an, an excellent video about this that talks about how well they've done with artificial depth of field you know death stranding regardless of what you think of the game They've done amazing using depth of field or artificial depth of field to mm-hmm. give you that sense of draw distance, to give you that sense of focus, like on those monster cans. You know, <laughs> you need something to really have Beautiful. that. I, knew, I know you love it, and that's, <laughs> that's where we're having it. So, so to have something like that and, and to have it that early mm-hmm. to try and do something to, first of all, to create artificial depth of field is insanely hard. Uh, you know, working in photography, it's something that we work on a lot to either create drama, to create something that is in focus, whether you're shooting macro food or flowers or shooting portraiture, it's yeah. something that you, that you really focus on. And to have that here where you can kind of create it and, and adjust with it. And like you said, if you zoom in, it changes. And some games have that as well. It's, it's cool that they started this early experimenting with it. Yes, yes. And as of 2013, Valve and J.J. Abrams have stated that they are working together to create a Half-Life and a Portal film. The movies are supposedly in early development, with plans on making games together with them as well. But as of 2016, Abrams has stated that fans can expect to hear some news soon about the movies coming out. Well, the only thing that happened is that Michael Booth, Mm-hmm. He's joined J.J. Abrams' team, which is now Bad Robots Games. Yes. But really, yeah, it's one of those things, so much red tape to get through, mm-hmm. but it's more or less like, oh, we're going to make uh, movies and video games here soon. It's kind of like what happened with Peter Jackson when he tried to do some stuff with Halo, mm-hmm. uh, ended up doing like the King Kong game, but not too much coming out of that. Well, no, and Gabe forgot to reveal that he only makes two games for each title <laughs> so when he's when he's like portal twos i was like oh you want to do a game sure jj sounds sounds good go figure that out yourself yeah <laughs> portal went up against a lot of triple a titles in 2007 and managed to stand out it created a genre that most had never dreamt of developed simply as a senior project by a group of seven students it spun into a cult classic adored by hardcore and casual gamers alike. Its success has shown the gaming community that what appears to be a simple game and concept can become rather successful when given the right exposure. The game is regarded as nothing short of art. It's a game that is for everyone, challenging the norm and went against the grain. It did what your high school science teacher couldn't. It taught us that physics could be fun as hell. As long as you have a portal gun and fighting a deranged robot also helped. You're not wrong. You're not wrong there. <laughs> if I had fought robots in school, I would be 
much I, cooler. I didn't do well in physics. Maybe if I had played this game. Again, as I said earlier, paper physics is hard to do. <laughs> Seeing stuff in real life just makes mm-hmm. it so much better. And I get all my lessons from video games now. I, I just know that, yeah, occasionally your science teacher can just, like, throw a ball and be like, look at that. But it's, like, it's not as fun as, like, fighting robots. Come on, let's be honest. Precisely. But now this is the, the point, as always, where we discuss why we chose to cover this particular video game. Mm-hmm. As always, Alex, please start us off. Again, I think we've covered a lot of this info in the episode. But truly, it, it is a work of art from a studio that has done just insane magic mm-hmm. that has taken what, as I had joked about, like a paper mache volcano in your science fair and said, you did some stuff wrong, but let's make it a real life project. Mm-hmm. And they did it. And it spawned a sequel. It spawned memories out there. It's It spawned, you know, even other games to take that idea. Um, we have that Halo knockoff game, which I don't remember the name of it, that uses portals. Mm-hmm. Uh, that came out, I believe, 2019, 2020. That was like the appeal was, it's Halo meets Portal. Yes, and and it did kind of work for the game. I think the game is interesting. I don't want to play it, but I think from just watching gameplay footage, it's cool. Mm-hmm. But it's cool because Portal. Yes. And for Portal to spawn and really be the foothold, in my opinion, for main studios to produce what would be an indie title. Yeah. I think it added it in. I mean, we have to give nods over to Super Meat Boy, Braid, and games like that that were basically the building blocks of indies. Valve was that major studio to push Portal and push into the arcade. Absolutely. Push it into the forefront and to really take chances and, and take criticism and what the fans actually want mm-hmm. and take that risk. Because not a lot of studios, even in today's standards, do that. They don't take too many risks. What they're going to do instead is, let's say, something like Halo or Gears of War. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just going to keep pushing that. Whether or not you like it or hate, hate it, Like that's something that a lot of studios see. And, and we'll talk about this more, and we've already seen it, that some developers hate the idea of a sequel. Yes. They're all about new IPs, new IPs, new IPs, or, or new innovations within these IPs. and. As you had said, it's not a lot of studios are taking too many risks here and there. It's more about, you know, this is what we know. If we're going to take a risk on something, theoretically, it's not going to hurt our wallet too much. No, and they already had Steam in the works at this point. Mm -hmm. They already had a lot of other stuff going. And, again, Newell didn't have to take the risk on those students. You know, I, I think he's just a genius in his own right on seeing what he likes mm-hmm. and saying, I think that could be marketable. I yeah, think we can yeah. do something with it. Well, especially he loves Nintendo games, and he's like, this is kind of, this could be our Nintendo game, yes. essentially. And he wasn't he wasn't like one of those 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 big guys who's like, that's a good idea. How much do you want for it? Mm-hmm. 20 bucks? All right, see you later. He goes, I'm going to hire you guys. Build this on the source engine, which yeah. is so cool to see that because, again, watch interviews with the guy. You know, as much as you want to get upset because he's not releasing, a, you know, the third ty- or the third chapter in your favorite game, mm-hmm. like he's kind of built this this empire. And again, because of Gabe, we got Portal. And yeah. to me, Portal is so different. Not only because it's a first person puzzle platforming game, which we didn't really have, Mm-mm. but the clean aesthetic of yes. it is what drew me in. Glados and her wit and her dry humor, as you've said, she becomes like such a likable and hateable character at the same time. Mm-hmm. 
And I love this idea of, you know, we said the music that works al uh, along with the the white aesthetic of it. Everything, as I said, for the most part is super clean. Yes. You know, you, you pull back the curtain a little bit and you see where Doug Ratman has created that allure, a mystery mm -hmm. of being like, what's going on here? It's a super clean Truman show. Mm -hmm. It's exactly what that is. It's 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 you're in this reality that is supposed to be a science experiment, which is your reality, but it's not mm -hmm. because there's a way out of it in this thing. And they've, like you said, the clean aesthetic worked. Yes. Uh, you know, you've seen other puzzle games or other ones trying to have like, ooh, a temple environment. All right, now we're going to go to a space environment. This kept pretty much the same thing until you got into the maintenance tunnels and into to Gladys herself. Mm -hmm. Kept that clean aesthetic, changed some things around, you know, made it more, made each area its own map style. Yes. And really made it fun. And as well as putting this in the portal franchise or the universe as well was genius, even mm -hmm. though we haven't really seen any carryover, like true carryover, like Shell and Gordon Freeman aren't going to be like teaming up anytime soon. No, it's it's just kind of working in with Aperture Science mm -hmm. and, and working between them and the Combine and what's going on kind of in both as these manipulators, as, yeah. as this kind of this overall all-seeing eye, kind of Skynet-y Yes, feel yes, to it. Yeah, but yeah, I, mean, I, I think it's fantastic. What, let's let's move on to our ratings because I know this is really why you guys tune in. You wait till the end of the episode to know their true ratings. Mm -hmm. Jesse, what would you give it? I'd give this one eight, eight and a half out of ten, and that's only because I don't really like platformers or puzzle games. But this still sold me on it. Mm. If anything, I think that they should have. Not should have. Uh, what would have given that extra point five or one point five to make it a ten out of ten is maybe add a little more levels or a little more complexity. But at the end of the day, eight point five out of ten. I think that's a good rating for a great game. Yeah, I don't really understand your rating system, but mine is the true rating system that we tune in for. Okay. Um, I would have to go with if we had a tier list um, for cakes, probably like like bottom of the list. I would just put your your plain. Uh, yellow cake, not a yellow cake fan. That is the lowest of it. Moving up um, would probably just be a chocolate cake. I'm not a, not a chocolate cake guy. From there, I honestly think if we had a different cake in the game, really white cake. It, it's it's it's. I know it's a plain one, but when you add stuff to it, it's really just the base layer that you're going to add to either like a nice frosting topping, some, okay. some okay. adding in some fruit, maybe some chocolate. You know, you have you have your options, but really, your top tier ones you're talking your flavor packers um, is is really a cheesecake, not really a cake in my opinion, but it can definitely get it there. But it's still good. It's still good. But top tier cake, brownie swirl. It's not really a cake, but brownie swirl gets you that brownie batter mixed in with a yellow mm -hmm. cake batter, mm -hmm. which I did put lower, but you got that mix going on. Top tier out of Portal. So so if, if we wanted to <laughs> if we wanted to add more cakes to Portal, probably a nice brownie swirl. You know, we'll go with that. Mm -hmm. But you. that was our coverage of the legendary portal. As a, sometimes the cake is a lie, sometimes it is not. Research was done by Jesse Reiners and Evan Barr. Cover art by Jesse Reiners and Jessica Wellickson. And music written and composed by Evan Barr. And this one, as I've always said, those people are not important. What's truly important is our Patreon and our patrons. Well, of course. This one was actually voted upon. By yes. our patrons. So we, we, we've given them four games a month. They get to vote on basically which one we cover. Mm -hmm. And they get to choose from there. And not only that, on our Patreon, you get a plenty of bonus content, including T-shirts, stickers, an entire new show that Jesse and I have created called From the Bargain Bin, as well as interactions on Discord and plenty of others. Check it out over at patreon.com slash finish the fight. And we're going to thank those people today, starting with Charles Zitter, 
Tactics, Sky the Bear, Angry Canadian, Grant Dillon, Mr. Choff, Cowan Fong Feliciano, DGamer1298, Alex Harper, Delphix, Nick Hyman, Brandon Christian, Richard Scanlon, Mick Chief, Big Papa Semechki, Grant ODST, Loki2014, Nathan Van de Voort, Climbing Spork, Mr.1898, William Kroll, and Cameron Collier. I think that's how you say it. Cameron, let me know. Collier or Collier. You let me know when you listen to this, and I'll let you know that you listen to it. (laughs) And be sure to check us out on Facebook or Twitter on Instagram. If you have any questions about the show, you're curious about what direction we're going to go with what episode or anything like that, let us know. Send us a message after you like and follow us, of course. And also be sure to join our Discord. That is a direct line to Alex and myself if you have any questions or you want to share you know, uh, what beer you're sipping on, what you've been eating, uh, any gaming news, anything like that. We're happy to discuss all of that with you so click the link in the bio or, or you know for our social sites or the link in the description and join our discord today and as well catch me on twitch we're gonna be streaming some games we're gonna be streaming some podcast stuff some talks over at twitch.tv slash sourman70 that's s-o-u-r-m-a-n seven zero uh, we'll be doing some fun stuff as i had said that was our coverage of portal did you like the game did you hate the game let us know do you agree with alex's uh, cake tier rating it's the only rating we need. <laughs> I am your host, Jesse Reiners. And I am your host, Alex Kendall. And thank you for tuning in to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. Mm-hmm.